listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of What the Dev. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about all things value stream management. Uh, And with me today is Adam Dahlgren. He's the uh, Chief Operating Officer at Value Stream Intelligence Company, Allstacks. How you doing, Adam? David, so happy to be here with you. Doing yeah. great. Uh, I've always enjoyed our talks in the past and looking forward to this as well. Absolutely. So, so one of the things I think we maybe should just start with is how uh, value stream is really, uh, value stream management really coming into its own. Uh, people, I think, are starting to get the message and realizing the benefits of being able to gain efficiencies, deliver value, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it's good to see the market coming around. So, you know, where where did it come from? I know you guys were early on in the yeah. around 2018 timeframe, as as were we. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's let's talk about where it came from and, and where we're at now. Gosh, it's yeah. Uh, cool, cool thing to have it, it, it popping. Right. It is to see the market opening up in these interesting, new, uh, exciting, dare I say, modern uh, ways, mm-hmm. um, uh, ways that I, I think that that you certainly have been uh, teasing out uh, that they were coming for a long time, and that we've certainly been building toward here at All Stacks. Those words, value stream management, the value streams concept, um, it is it's dry, um, and uh, I think perceived as a very like ooh look at look at some people kind of. Uh, trying to form fit these these um, manufacturing words into into engineering you know uh, technology um, contexts and and really it just it fits so well um, that it's sort of unavoidable. Yeah, and, well, know, kind of like lean when people started talking about yeah. lean. That yeah. also came out of manufacturing, and there was a little bit of a hurdle there for people to understand the terminology and how it applied to software, which is different than manufacturing. Uh, and, and people now seem to have their heads wrapped around that. Right. And, and like, I think on the, when you look at it long arc, it all makes so much sense because for a long time, um, manufacturing was biz, like business in general. When you thought of big business, it was so often manufacturing or manufacturing adjacent, Right. Right. And and so same same right enough decades pass and here we are where software um, is business it's it, or, or software adjacent is business and so yeah the the lean thing was it it is a reference point in why the value stream thing was going to kind of play out just just the same way um, and I would say that you know you back in 2018 and us back in 2018 maybe we were um, grumbly about why it, well it hadn't maybe picked up the the recognition and steam and kind of acknowledgement for, for where it was going, um, yet, but, um, gosh, will a downturn, uh, help, uh, refocus, uh, leaders in certain interesting ways. Um, you you hate to reduce it to just that. I I, I would say it's a downturn plus a whole bunch of companies, um, building a lot of product, spending a lot of time, a lot of thought leadership done over the last five and 10 years, but it's like that, that free free money era evaporating away, um, way more focus on on that value word in terms of value being de- delivered in a in a 
more right. pointed manner, right? The mm -hmm. questions, uh, the way I talk about it a lot, it's just the, the questions that are now being asked by not just the business unit leaders and the product people and technology people, but also the CFOs and the COOs and the CEOs uh, and the board members to say, oh, we have all these huge software initiatives. Show me the direct line to, to value. And then, and then let me understand how you are optimizing that, how you are super focused as an organization on creating value and then replicating that manner in which you created the value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely been the case. And one of the things that we uh, kind of, uh, you know, we've been running our uh, virtual VSM con. Uh, we have the yep. fifth one coming up next month. But yep. one of the themes last year was for years, people have been talking about how development and business were not speaking the same language. They were never on the same page. You know, developers had one set of tools. Business had a different set of tools. They didn't really integrate. It was a real disconnect. Value stream seems to be the thing that is enabling organizations to finally marry up their development efforts with their business outcomes. Yep. And I think that's revelatory. And, and one of the reasons that we jumped on this, as, as you guys did back in 2018, seeing this and going, finally, this is the missing link of getting the software team to be part of the business. As it is the translation the, the translation engine, right? It is, it is that, it is that thing. I, I abstractly, I, I kind of think about it like um, you have these different, these different units and what you have over here is historically a design, a design organization, a project management organization, development, some product and strategy organizations and, and, a, and maybe a PMO within there, right? As different blobs, right? Sort of circling around each other outside of these other business business blobs. Well, for a while, what had to happen was, and this is this is a story of, of DevOps and Agile and these other things, you had to form these into a unit, a, a coherent, cohesive unit as a software organization, right? We, we got there after, after, got there maybe, you know, air quotes, but, but like we're so much better broadly in the industry as a, a more coherent, cohesive software unit. Okay, great. That's cool. Now the, the value stream, the business agility story that I think is kicking off that'll take us, you know, the next five to seven years becomes how is this thing integrated into these other business units, which really like when you when you go to um, the COOs and the CEOs and the board members, historically they're thinking about all those other business units, sales and finance and operations and and you know, go to market and whatnot as as like the key drivers of the business. And now that's shifted. Now we have to be able to bring software into the, into the mix as, you know, first class citizen, really a central hub for the rest of the business to be, to be run. Mm -hmm. So the software orgs had to get themselves into shape. And now that they are getting into shape, now you can bring them using these value stream concepts more directly into, into directly integrated with those business units. And, and that's, that's like, uh, you know, maybe I'm just a preacher on this, but I just think that's that's the story for the next five years. Well, how much do you think that the pandemic had an effect on this where you had so many companies just, you know, people were suddenly working remotely. They had to go out and buy all this software now and to accommodate all these kinds of things. And they were just spending like drunken sailors on yeah. software and realized that they had integration problems. They had no visibility in a lot of things that were happening. Uh, so that kind of 
if if a good thing came out of a bad thing, it's the fact that people started to really do that kind of analysis and say, well, we have all this disconnect. We have all these tools. We don't know what would you know what's happening here. Absolutely. You know, yeah. We really, I think, helps uh, tie that all up. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think some people will will, will associate it with you know the, the big broad cloud move. I, I think that I think that might be. Um, maybe off by a few degrees because because to me the proliferation of the the apis right the making data available irrespective of if it is like cloud only if it's if it's hosted on prem and data is getting piped somewhere but just like the mentality of there will be endpoints where we can make this stuff available and then the people will be able to use it right and so then the data can can be munged together um, to you know, analyzed uh, and associated with with one another, for then derivative things to come out of it. That was that was something that had to take place after the agile stuff. That the big DevOps push, the DevOps push had a proliferation of tools because then you also had all these all these end users, right? Who were like, I I just don't I don't like the, the current state of art in in. 2013 and 2014 and 2015 there has to there there have got to be better ways for me to actually do my job as a individual contributor line level person who needed to if you go back to the manufacturing thing which i i don't shy away from all that much like i need to move code along my assembly line to a certain degree i'm still an artist when i when i am when i'm actually deciding on how we're going to approach this but like there's a moment where we just need to move something down the line and we needed a lot of way better tools to be able to do that. And boom, you know, from from 2012 through 2017, just so many more sprouted up in so many interesting ways. Maybe got a little far flung. Pandemic hit. Everybody needed yet more tools and more ways to collaborate asynchronously and do all these things, which which then forced more different interesting data operations and a new data stack starts to evolve. Right. Um it's just fascinating that all that stuff had to happen to satisfy, I, I would call it like the, the individual contributors, the, the people who are, who are contributing those core units, the building blocks of the software, they needed to be serviced in much, in very different, new, interesting ways. And then once all of that had happened, and then a, a ton of these tools became available, then the people who actually um, needed to make decisions based on the proliferation of all the, that data and all those tools those people were like, holy cow, what is happening across this landscape of stuff? Right. And and for us, once that started to happen, then enter value stream, right? Well, that dovetails very nicely into uh, talking more about, uh, you know, all stacks notion of value stream intelligence. Yeah. So yeah. value stream management, people are like, okay, you create your, your value stream maps and you follow the steps and you manage those things. Uh, which is fine. Uh, so, so tell me how value stream intelligence maybe takes that the next step forward. Yeah, uh, you know, so a couple things, and and a little bit of you know behind the behind the curtain and how we think about all this at all stacks. I think because of what we sort of started off this conversation with the value stream words maybe sounded outmoded or or too manufacturing y for a while, or people just weren't awake to the problem space um, yet. And so a lot of companies, I think, were building, they were building tools somewhat like we, we built early on. There were lots of things like, you know, just it was engineering efficiency. It was just productivity tools. It was 
um, you know, super like engineering intelligence focused. And to me, that was, that was sort of like choosing to, to not acknowledge what was obvious, which was that the value stream core needs were, were, were like showing their, they're rearing their head. Right. And what we said was, we're not going to call ourselves something that, that we're not. And by definition, this is going to be value stream. And, oh, there is a little bit of a modern way to approach some of these things. And that's where, you know, we added the word intelligence rather than latching on to just value stream management. But value stream management is a super important concept to, to get started with any of these, you know, kind of kind of core functions. So from a from a all stacks capabilities perspective, what we've done is we've built that integration model to take data from all these disparate data sources mm-hmm. and Part of our magic, um, you know, magic as as I like to say, is is that you can have um, you can have project management data that is in in multiple systems in one organization. You don't need to you don't need to be homogenous in the tools you use and how you use them, even just on the project management side. And then you can you can you can do a great job of getting clarity very fast by bringing in code data, build and deployment data, planning data, right? Execution data. Right. And, and by being able to make all of these different systems um, clearly visible at the same level without all of the chop of needing to normalize things because we do that sort of for you, um, then, and, and, and by taking advantage of some machine learning and the historicals and all that, then you can start to say, oh, look, we have this execution model for how this team actually delivers value and what is likely to happen in the future. And then you can do things like build the risks guidelines, right. To say, Oh, I have a team that I kind of, I want, I want to show that I'm improving and I don't want to get in their way a lot. Oh, what do I do? I put in place these, these sort of risk guidelines where when we encounter certain activities happening, uh, through the system, the different, the tickets moving, the commits moving, the, the build and deployment data. We, so here's an app, here's an aberration. Here's a, here's a risk to the overall delivery of value. And we push that to the individual developer so that they can take care of it. A manager doesn't need to do that. Right. And it just becomes this sort of self-correcting system toward improving the flow, especially flow. And then from there you can say, okay, well, I've got the, this underpinning of, of guardrails, right? And what does that mean? Well, I'm I'm kind of ratcheting down my my variances. I'm I'm ratcheting down um, the rate at which I'm experiencing, you know, kind of core risks to my delivery. And so then what happens is you have better and better forecasts. You have way higher fidelity planning cycles. You are able to know what to expect more repeatedly, more reliably. And then what you can do is you can build that that business frame of here's the corporate initiative, here's the the company thing, here's the thing for our customers that we've set at the highest level. This is what value looks like, right? It is improving, it's improving customer churn by twenty percent and improving NPS uh, on this product line, uh, you know, by fifty percent. And you can actually see across all the different systems your traction toward that, your likelihood to obtain it in the time frame that you're that you're seeking to do so. And then you can use that as a reference point 
for your next key initiative. And so it just keeps, it keeps getting you on to the next higher quality problem um, and, and lives with you. And that that's, I think, one of the most important things is how easy it is to, to get started because it's, we're just plugging in data and, and, and all stacks is doing so much of the hard work on the data side, right? And then the speed at which you can see answers and then adjust accordingly. And so then it, and it lives with you. And that, that's where, that's the intelligence feel that we're trying to build versus the static look back reports driven, right? right. Like just regurgitate to me what has already happened type thing. Right. So I think the thing that's unique is that uh, forecasting uh, capability uh, mm -hmm. that you can see, you know, by looking at all this data, when things might be starting to uh, go off the rails a little bit, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and. So what and, drives that? What is driving that forecasting capability? Yeah. So, so this is where you have the, the commingling of, uh, of especially your project management data across various systems, which is actually pretty important. Like you can be a Microsoft ADO user a Jira user, you can have Jira data center and cloud and Microsoft, whatever, you know, sure. however, and all, all feeding the same all stacks instance um, with, you know, and some of our uh, customers might have some legacy Bitbucket where they're still developing code and they've got, and they've got GitHub and they want to be all on GitHub enterprise at some point, but that migration is taking a long time. So you can see, all the work associated and then the tree built up to the highest level initiatives and then and then get that initiative forecasting based on all that data and then to include you know like your jenkins data and stuff like that um to then say oh here's here's where we're off track here are the risks that are called out and then and then even better underneath that um as you start to encounter those risks you like i was mentioning the the guidelines those the, the risk module that we have where it's like, oh, we've seen the rate of these risks popping off. We need to actually ratchet those down, drive more attention at the atomic team level. So we say, hey, team, we're going to have we're going to have alerts set for every time you have uh, pull requests that have that have lasted more than two days, and we're going to make sure that we've got um, wait states, you know, to drive better team flow that are removed by by not letting certain things sit for for a certain amount of time. And we can actually deliver to a company getting getting spun up on these concepts, the sort of out of the box package, best practice package, without them needing to make all of the many decisions that you know a power user might make. They can actually just get started with, here's the flip it on. These are the all stacks best practices. This is going to get you you know ten and twenty percent efficiency within your atomic Scrum teams, which is going to build up to really straight line clarity about speed toward your initiatives toward the value the value statements in the business and then that's where you know we're getting those those marketing uh and sales stakeholders so excited because they're suddenly like product marketing is saying oh my gosh i've got a band a, a forecast band that i can believe on when this like key capability is coming out and the sales leader is saying, "Yeah, we're already selling that. <laughs> like we're in we're in enterprise cycles to to sell this thing that's coming, and we need some some confidence about when that's coming." And then the CFO says, "Yeah, so sales is telling me they're not lowering their call because the thing is happening, right?" And so you get you get this this value stream story that happens at at the leadership team level 
which is, that's the point, right? That's where we're trying to go. And then for us, right. For us, it's the, you know, never stop expanding the, the, the data sets, right. Get, get broader, right. Certainly we're really excited about the places we'll go um, from, from an ML AI perspective, but, Uh but definitely also from broadening the, the data sets to get higher fidelity data for the other stakeholders. I think Dr. Seuss wrote that book. Oh, the places you will go. I think I think so. My four-year-old uh, asks for that often. <laughs> it's one of my faves. But anyway, Adam, thanks so much for your time today. Really uh, great talking to you as always. As always. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having appreciate me. your time. And folks, uh, you can hear more from Adam uh, at the fifth virtual VSM Con on June the 7th, where he'll be presenting uh, with a host of other outstanding speakers and industry experts who can show you the benefits of value stream management and how to get up and running with it. Uh, Details and registration, of course, can be found at sdtimes.com, and we hope to see many of you there. As always, it's a great lineup of speakers, as always. Thank you, Adam. Very appreciate that. Okay, so uh, until next time, once again, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. So long for now.